Life Happens with Pimelo Mutine. Pimelo Mutine on SAFM. On SAFM. All right, it's seven minutes after two o'clock. We're shifting gears slightly and we are shifting gears because this is going to be a, an interesting conversation. Tough maybe, but it's going to be interesting because there's very little tolerance we have for people who are either alcoholics or are addicted, you know, to, to any substance, whether it is um, smoking, nicotine or, or any other, maybe even illegal substances. But I started asking myself um, about what impact the lockdown regulations has had for somebody who really is genuinely a, 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 an addict, who depends on alcohol, who depends on that nicotine. How are they getting by? And I know it's an uncomfortable conversation because many of you will say, well, you know, they shouldn't be addicted in the first place. But but well, they are, right? So we are living in a society where people are addicted. And what happens to those who live with addicts? How are they coping at the moment? And it's very easy for us not to be empathetic, but perhaps we should start thinking differently about people who are living with addictions because whether we like it or not, they are amongst us. They too need to be given some level of support as as all of us are struggling with, with whatever it is that we're struggling with. I think they too need to be given some level of support. And what does that support look like? Okay, so my guests are um, Melinda Ferguson, who was celebrating uh, 20 years of being clean. Oh my goodness, 20 years of being clean um, by releasing and relaunching her, her memoir, um, Smacked. And Melinda, I want to just welcome you to the show. Good afternoon and thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Pimelo. I'm so happy to be here. Yeah, and it's a it's a hard time we're going through. I think you know, Melinda. It, it's been twenty years, but I was just thinking to myself that the, the the reason people call you a recovering, not recovered, a recovering addict, is because it never quite goes away. And I'm sure, you know, being under lockdown and having COVID has had you face the world differently as a recovering addict? Oh, completely. I mean, you know, addiction is a very difficult thing to understand for people who aren't addicts. And that's one of the reasons I wrote Smacked, because it was a kind of like a brutal look at what happens in an addict's mind, you know. I mean, you know the whole story. I mean, I don't want to go into Smacked now, but let's go straight to lockdown because I get a bit diverted sometimes. So, so even with like, and I'm nearly 21 years in oh. September, the, on September the 1st, God willing, I shall be 21 years clean and sober, which is only in about three or four weeks time. Um, but I have never sat on my laurels and thought, oh, I gave up all these drugs and drinking and now I'm clean and I'm recovered. So part of the, 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 the story I think addicts in recovery are told and we tell ourselves is acknowledging our addiction on a daily level, on some kind of a daily level. I've always been cognizant that one drink, they say one is too many and a thousand is never enough. Mm. So the, 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 the dip into, for me just to start saying, oh gosh, you know what, I could have a glass of wine, everything will be fine, you know, it's only one glass, and a lot of people have encouraged me in my recovery, oh come on, you've done this for so long, come on man, stop being so square, 
stop being such a party pooper. And, you know, that's what we have to deal with a lot. We, people love wanting addicts, <laughs> you know, to have that, that one as well. Because alcohol especially is part of our, our daily lives in South Africa. Well, it was <laughs> until lockdown. <laughs> but, but during lockdown, I was really in the beginning, you know, when the state of disaster was declared, I went through a very bad space. Everything I'd planned, as, as all of us, you know, not just little me, everyone's plans were suddenly thrown into a huge sea of uncertainty. And I had had a lot of plans that, that, that were going to just be rolled out. I had lots of trips booked. I had all these books that were out launching and I was going on car launches and doing all these things. Suddenly overnight we were told, we un, we, you know, we're under lockdown. And during those first few days, I really craved like I had not craved in many years. Um, you know, a, a craving to just get out of it, just to, to get out of the reality of what we were looking at. And there have been a few days in lockdown that have been particularly hard where I've really longed for a drink. And this shocked me because as much, you know, as much as I say I don't sit on my laurels, I have got all of these years behind me. I shouldn't be someone in my own head who is having a craving because cravings left me a long time ago. Now to sit and face that part of myself, the addict who's saying to me, say, saying, you know what, it's all a big mess. Who cares about like your little sobriety? Why don't you just have like, you know, imagine having heroin again. And I had this dialogue with myself where I had this voice telling me, you know, if we're all going to die, if everything's going down, you might as well use again. And that, that, that really shocked me. You know, you said, um, God willing, it'll be 21 years. And, I, and, mm. and, and my stomach kind of it sank because I thought, for you to say God willing, yeah. 20 years in, it, it just brings to me the magnitude of how real it is. That that's, yeah. It's a daily struggle. It is a daily struggle. And, you know, Pimelo, I've met many addicts who were 21, 25 years clean who died using again. A heroin addict I knew well that had a multiple years of recovery relapsed. And because his body was not oh. used to what he had once used, he overdosed. Mm. I've seen some of the, the most amazing people fall off the wagon. And those 20 years or the 10 years that they had went mm. completely just sliding away. And they were back in their habits on the streets or wherever they were, you know, drinking again, messing up their lives again. So, so there's a kind of humility about saying, God willing, yeah. because if we don't realize that this is a disease that has no, um, it, it's not a control thing about being an addict. You mm -hmm. see, most people think, Ugh, you know what, I can just have one glass of wine a night. Addicts don't do that. Addicts want the bottle, and then the bottle's finished, and they want some more. Mm. It's the same as, you know, if, you, if you're if you a cocaine addict, you're not going to have one line. You're going to go to the dealer right through the night until you've got no more money, and you're going to start thinking, let me pawn my watch. Mm. So, so there is just this big difference, I think, between people who have manageable relationships with substances and people that are addicts. Let me bring in Dr. Eugene Ellis, who is a psychiatrist, into this conversation. Dr. Ellis, thank you so much for joining us.
Dr. Alice? Yes, can you hear me? Now we can hear you. Welcome to the show. Yes, well, good afternoon. <laughs> I am curious about the lockdown and its impact on 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 people who are either have confronted the fact that they are addicts, but most importantly, those who had been in denial about the addiction and are suddenly confronted with the cutting off of the substance. Yeah, so that they actually then realize I've got a problem because well, they suddenly have withdrawals or cravings. Correct, yes. because because there is something to be said about somebody deciding for themselves to get help or to try and stop, you know, or to do something about it. And it being imposed on you by the fact that it's no longer available. So, you know, you cannot buy cigarettes anymore. I'm not saying that smoking is illegal, but you cannot buy cigarettes anymore. And if you don't have the supply, it means that you just don't have the supply anymore. You are not allowed to buy alcohol anymore. If you've run out, you've run out. So that that feeling like it's not my choice, what impact it has on people? Yeah, I mean, and that is, that is probably, you know, when the light should come on that I've got a problem. Because, you know, if we, 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 we get into a habit and we think we're fine, we speak to a lot of people that are, are addicted and they would tell you, you know, without realizing they're addicted mm. and without acknowledging they've got a problem, you know, oh, no, I can stop easily, you know, it's not a problem. I've tried it once, it worked, you know, for a day or two. I mean, I could, it's not my, my boss, it's not controlling me. <clears throat> so, so I don't have a problem. So that's the first step. The first step is to actually realize there is a problem. So in this period, when you're suddenly not getting it, and you and you and you're actually having cravings mm. and withdrawals, then you're going to start realizing maybe I've got a problem. You know, so maybe it's not such a bad thing because it might give people insight into I have a problem, which they didn't realize before. And then how to deal with the problem and how to accept the problem. That's a different story. And I'm very worried about the support that's available um, during the lockdown. So one easily can say, yes, there are Zoom meetings. You can go and get help via, you know, all these fancy Zoom meetings now instead of going to a, a meeting where you meet other alcoholics um, now you can go online, but not everybody has that. So the assumption that it's possible and it's easy, that worries me a bit. No, it's actually more difficult now. Mm. Can you imagine if you just had to start with your general practitioner, your GP? Mm. You know, the, you, you, I mean, most people don't want to go sit in a waiting room and see their GP because sick people go there, people with COVID go there, and, and your risk is much higher of getting it mm-hmm. if you go to the doctor. So you actually would avoid that. And then you've got to... Maybe going to a rehab or something else where there's also a lot of people and you're also going to get exposed and it's more difficult. You've got to, get, got to be tested, you know, prove that you're negative and then through all these loops to get help. So it is a little bit more difficult today uh, during the COVID period to actually get help. It's available, but it's more difficult because of all these the restrictions and the fear of leaving the house, going to the doctor, waiting in the waiting room, seeing the doctor, being exposed to the virus. It's even more difficult. Let's open the lines um, for yourself, Dr. Alice, and for you, Melinda, if you don't mind, 0891-104-207, or you can send us an SMS on 41391, and it will be charged at 1 Rand 50. Here, there, and everywhere. SAFM 107.1 FM.
FM in Seapoint. My guests are Melinda Ferguson, author and publisher, and she celebrates 20 years, almost 21, almost 21, crossing our fingers, of being clean and sober. And she's just relaunched a best-selling memoir, Smacked. And I'm also in conversation with psychiatrist Dr. Eugene Ellis. I have asked um, if we can maybe just take the lines, if you don't mind, Melinda and Dr. Ellis, and I'll open the lines on 891 you you calling from Mpumalanga. Good afternoon and welcome to the show. Afternoon, Fumel. How are you? I'm well. How are you? I am well. Okay. How yes, are you doing? Uh, I think uh, as a social worker in this in this field. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, are you there? I'm right here. Yes. As a social worker in this field, I think uh, at some we have some very difficult, especially under this particular lockdown, as an organisation also. Because I think uh, there's a certain level of stigma even from the government institutions thereof. Mm-hmm. Because uh, what happens is that if you say uh, you give about a lockdown, bear in mind that we support the lockdown due to this particular uh, circumstance and the alcohol ban. Yes. But there were some certain measures which were supposed to be put in place. For example, if someone is in treatment, for example, for of alcohol yes. at a particular, then you can't just say, uh, tomorrow uh, we are under lockdown, meaning that even the institutions, the treatment, the rehabilitation, they are all closed. Then it means that that particular uh, patient is left to to, their own to himself. Yeah. There's no help for that particular person. Mm-hmm. So I think uh, this strategy, the lockdown, uh, is also negated or also on treatment centers and also uh, well, it's like the stigma of some sort that they are not important uh, in, within the society and thereof. So I think um, as an organization, we feel for those uh, with alcohol use disorders. So I don't I don't understand uh, why the government doesn't make uh, measures in place before the particular lockdown. But we do support it that uh, in terms of the health and the current discourse thereof. But I think there must have been a better communication, especially from uh, the department responsible for this, such as your health and the Department of Social Development. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Stembinko. So let me go to Anonymous in KZN. Good afternoon, Anonymous. Good afternoon to you, Pumela. Pumela, is it Pumela or Pumela? It's Pumela. Pimelo, Pimelo, okay. I just want to say to, um, congratulations to your guests there, mm-hmm. Melinda, for being clean or for uh, refraining or desisting from uh, the bad habits. And congratulations to her for being clean for so many years mm-hmm. and to be so open, to come up and be so open on the airwaves and, you know, are never frightened or deterred, uh, you know, to say that she's been clean. Mm-hmm. She's been so honest. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just want to talk about some people that are uh, in, this, in this problem mm-hmm. or in this mess. Mm-hmm. Um, they, uh, when you ask them to go to a rehab center, they just don't want to go. They say, no, we, uh, you, what you are telling us to go to a rehab center, we are enjoying uh, this sort of thing, you know. Even though they're addicted to it, but they don't want to go. Sometimes you have to push them through the courts to go to a rehab center, maybe to Fort Napier. But that's the only place that the courts will put them in Fort Napier, depending on the age factor. Mm-hmm. If they're younger, they may go to uh, you know, uh, Nicro. Yeah. If they're under 16, yes. they're younger in age. But if they're older in age, they'll put them in Fort Napier or put them in some hospitals, you know, yeah. where there's a psychologist. Yeah. Anonymous, thank you so much for that. M- Melinda, let's talk about this, the, the other family members. 
and and those who are there to observe the addict and and what difficulties they they face it's a it's a really destructive disease and i call it a, a disease because for me it's like having cancer of the mind mm. um you know people get cancer all sorts of places in the body but but an addiction is like having cancer of the mind and I know from my own on my own personal destructive journey, I hurt so many people. Um, my family really like at the center of the of the of the destructive thing because the thing is your previous caller and thank you for her congratulations. Mm-hmm. Um, she was talking about people who don't want to go. You know that that people can clearly see there's a problem, mm-hmm. as my family did. My um, family, I mean, it was so obvious I had a huge problem, but I was so in denial. And denial is the thing that holds most addicts hostage. And what happens is we stop being able to see people. We, we stop having consciousness, I think, in terms of conscience and consciousness about what destruction we are, are, are wreaking all, you know, across all these different realms of people in and in our relationships and i don't think addicts intentionally want to hurt people but the drive to get more and the criminality often attached to getting their fixes our fixes when i was an addict i stole i lied i frauded you know i did all sorts of things to people that i loved so melinda when i when i when you yeah. say Sorry. denial, because you you know the, on the one hand it's quite obvious, and you're saying there's denial. Is it that mm. the person doesn't believe that they can be helped? Is is no. that part of it, or is it because uh, you don't want to be helped? It's a bit of both, okay. and I think that the, the, the denial's more. To, it, it really, the denial speaks like. I don't have a problem. Mm-hmm. Other people have a problem. So, I mean, look, my mom was an alcoholic, and I always, and she never admitted it. I mean, mm-hmm. if, if she died uh, from pancreatic cancer, which was very alcohol related, mm-hmm. and she would always say to me, I've never stolen, I've never lied, and I've never cheated to get my alcohol. I'm not, I don't have a problem. Mm-hmm. So, addicts make up things in their minds. Like, I'm not as bad as the person mm. there on the street corner. Mm. I used to say that. You know, I used to drive past these hookers mm. in Hillbrow. Mm. And I would go, I'm never going to be like that. I'll never go there. Like, I'm still okay. You know, I'm like a, a middle class mm. housewife addict. Mm. And I told myself all these lies. And right at the end of my journey, I was standing with those girls. I was one of them. And still, my brain told me that I didn't have a problem. So I always called uh, addiction the disease of a lie as well. It's like a lie that keeps on perpetuating itself. And and unfortunately, people have to hit a very hectic rock bottom sometimes in order for for the kind of light to come. I had to become homeless. I had to be gang raped. I had to have my babies taken away. And, and, and you know, there were many different things. Mm. I had to have my husband leave me, my family desert me. And right at the end, when I sat on a homeless farm, mm. and it was just me, with nothing around me, I'd lost everything. Mm. Suddenly, out of nowhere, I had a voice that said, Maybe you've got a problem. Wow. <laughs> like, like literally, it wow. took all of that for me to get the voice to tell me, 
maybe you are the one just who gets called here. Just maybe. Yeah, maybe, like maybe. <laughs> and and so, and I suppose when people say, how did I get clean? It was in that moment, you know, mm-hmm. sitting with nothing and around people who I was like looking at thinking, oh, you guys are such like derelicts. And, and meanwhile, I was the worst one of everybody there. And a little voice came to, to my consciousness that said, you are wrong. Something has to be done and you need to do it. And so I have many parents, many people who consult with me on what, and we're just like, you know, because of my book, I've had so many people reaching out to me over the years. And I always say, you know, you can kill yourself trying to, to fix the addict. Literally, kill yourself mm, as mm, a mother, mm. as a sister, as a brother, as a lover, as a, as a wife, as a husband. But if the addict doesn't decide that they have, in fact, got a problem, you can waste all the money on rehab. You can, you know, so I've seen so many addicts go in and out of rehab, spending their parents' money. I'm not saying, oh, we must just leave them. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not saying that. But... It is not possible, I think, for a person to get clean and sober unless they make that decision. Hmm. Let's continue this conversation after the headlines with Amanda Machaka at 2.30. Here, there and everywhere. SAFM 105.6 FM in Palaborwa. We're discussing addiction during lockdown, and my guest is Melinda Ferguson, author and publisher, and also celebrating 20 years of sobriety. And she's released, uh, re-released her her best-selling memoir, Smacked. And um, I mean, I'm just so proud of of the work she's been doing in in the years um, after being clean. She's saying she's headed for 21 years. I believe she's going there, but she's a little bit nervous <laughs> about that. Dr. Eugene Alice, as well, is a psychiatrist with us. Just never navigating what it means to be an addict at this time. And I can also just take your calls on 891 or your SMSs on 41391. Doc, what Melinda said, ring. I, I get that. I get the fact that, you know, part of what makes it so difficult with, with loved ones is that the addict themselves need to see that it's time to get help. So then the question is, the intervention strategies that we have for addicts, are they working or do we need to revisit them, doctor? Yeah, I mean, added to her, you know, denial, uh, which is a, is a major problem in patients with uh, substance use disorders, is that they, uh, <clears throat> you must remember, it's a disease, it's a mm. disorder. We've changed our minds about that. It's now no more a social phenomenon that you can just stop. Mm-hmm. It's a disorder that needs treatment. But the problem with, with, with addiction is that, remember, when you use the substance, you feel well. That's why you use it. Because, I mean, if you sniffed your cocaine or had your drink, or you actually feel well. Uh, so when you stop it, you feel unwell. Mm. So in your mind, you've got a, a it's good for you. of, but this thing is, it's good for me. Mm. I feel good. When I use it, I feel so well. Mm. And, and, and when I don't use it, I really feel terrible. I have withdrawals. I feel bad. I feel depressed. So that adds to the denial, because how can this be a problem? I feel so good. But, I mean, your life is falling apart. And that's what addicts don't see, because they just have the feeling of well-being when they use the substance. So the first step in, 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 in getting people to actually realize this is a problem, 
takes a lot of, 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 of time because you can imagine what is a psychologist and a doctor going to do if your whole life has fallen apart, your husband has left you, you don't have any money, your family is upset, everybody has left you. <clears throat> I mean, what, what is a doctor going to say? You know, I mean, you, you need to stop because it's bad for you. I mean, that's going to make no impact. So really, uh, you know, there has to be a sense of, 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 of a, a sense within the person that my life is really falling apart. <clears throat> but I mean, in, in South Africa, we have um, we have facilities. Of, of course, it's a far and few in between. It's not enough. But the uh, <clears throat> if, it, if if addiction is treated as a chronic disorder, the same as we nowadays see obesity, mm-hmm. we see it as a chronic disorder. It's got got the same stigma. You know, you're mm-hmm. just eating too much. You know, you must just stop eating. You know, get self control. Mm-hmm. And that's the same kind of sense that people have with uh, people who are addicted. We've now changed our, our perception of that. <clears throat> it's a disorder and it needs medical intervention and treatment and sometimes and always psychological help, sometimes medication. But it is a chronic disorder. Mm. It is a lifelong problem. So those people that, that go into rehabs or go for treatment with a view of, you know, I'm going to go in, it's all over, I'm fixed, it's okay, they, they relapse mm. because... It's like diabetes and hypertension and all of these chronic disorders. It's a lifelong problem. It's a lifelong disease that has to be managed. And therefore, patients who go to the AA and and go to the psychologist and and carry on day by day, I mean, as Melinda says, it's a day by day. I mean, they're celebrating every year um, that this is happening to me because I'm still clean. People who, who view this disorder as such, you know, it's a chronic problem that I have to work on every day. They do well, and, and they really do well. Melinda, let's just say you're talking to somebody who is where you were 20 years ago right now, and their loved ones. What would you say? I would try and bring them into the idea of where I'd been mm-hmm. and how 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 absolutely destroyed my life was at the end because a lot of addicts think that their lives are too messed up to try and start again Mm. so what i use what i would try and do is to encourage someone to say look i've been really down i've been right down at the bottom and with just daily commitments of just for today just these 24 hours that i just need to stop and just need to not use each day becomes a week, becomes a month, becomes a year. And, I've, and the one thing I know is I've never seen an addict who got into recovery whose life got worse. The lives that I've seen oh. get better. The miracles that I've seen that have happened um, with people who've put down substances and decided to give themselves a chance to live. Every single one of those people's lives, relationships, employment, Everything came back in the most amazing way. And something like miracles happen, I think, when addicts decide to, to take the light rather than the dark and to, and to embrace the possibility that we can all change. So that's what I'd kind of say. Melinda, to 21 years and another 21 years. Thank you, darling. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you for being that voice that, that keeps reminding us that, you know, you too are human. Recovering addicts themselves are also human. And to just allow ourselves to be a bit more, I suppose, just considerate of those around us who are struggling with addiction. Thank you, Melinda. Thanks for telling your story. 
Thank you. Thank you. Melinda Ferguson is author and also a publisher, and she's celebrating 20 years of being clean um, by relaunching her bestseller memoir, Smacked. She's going to be headed to 21 any day now, so looking forward to that. In fact, we should send her a cake. And then Dr. Eugene Ellis as well. Thank you very much for making the time to talk to us, Dr. Eugene. Thank you so much. He's a psychiatrist. That conversation will be available as a podcast.